I'm really excited to come around a topic with you tonight. Um, but before we do, I want to dedicate this message. And I want to dedicate it to people who um, are dealing with a level of loneliness that is subtle enough that you can move past it, get over it, and work through it, but it's still there. I want to deal with low-level lingering loneliness tonight, and I'm, we're, we're going to go somewhere that probably you don't see the connection, so I'm going to, God will help me, I'll do my best to kind of connect it, but um, we're living in unprecedented days. Uh, a friend of mine, we had coffee this morning, and he said there are some research is showing that there are many researchers or some researchers who believe that this might be the most divided time in U.S. history since the Civil War. Um, the division as a result of probably the rise of the technological age has brought us to um, kind of classify and box each other in. If we're not careful, we're becoming caricatures of who we really are. And um, I want to I speak to that because I think it's affecting all of us. A brilliant friend of mine that I got to spend some time with recently who runs an incredible uh, company called OnSite where I went to therapy and need to go to therapy again. Um, does anyone else feel like they need to go to therapy most days? Is that just me? It's just like, oh, this would be a good day for therapy. Are we doing therapy today? No, we're not. Can we? Because um, I need to cancel everything and just talk through my emotions here. Um, but he, he actually said that he's very hopeful, and here's why. We are collectively experiencing trauma together globally. And he believes that um, if some things transpire and unfold, we might end up coming more together because of our collective trauma than not. And I want you to know you are looking at a guy in a brand new suit from his wife who believes with all of his heart um, that that is going to happen. I believe there's going to be a coming together and likes the world has never seen. I believe there's going to be a coming together in this country, and uh, I believe um, these things are going to work out for good. And so if you're here tonight, it's clappable. It's clappable. Um, if you're here tonight and you feel a little discombobulated, isn't that a good word? That's a good word. <laughs> that kind of sums up how you, a little just discombobulated. How are you today? Discombobulated. Um, there's a lot of sorts. Um, if you're like me or like anybody else I've talked to, um, friendships have changed in the last three years, two and a half years, significantly in some cases. Um, and all of this is symptomatic and indicative of what we are experiencing. And so if you have arrived tonight at the Saban Theater with like um, the best of circumstances, um, we love you, you are an anomaly, and we would like to hear from you after the service and tell us your secret. For the rest of us, um, we are a little traumatized. There are some challenges and difficulties in this uh, unprecedented season of life that has brought us here tonight. Uh, I am deeply disinterested in um, playing church, doing church, or giving you a good old-fashioned sermon that makes me feel good as a communicator and makes you feel impressed as a listener. Uh, I am so exhausted with that. What we need tonight is to come together and find deep, eternal hope and optimism for the future. They say there are two things that cause the human being um, to act out of character. Two things. 
you feel unsafe in the moment or you feel unsure about your future. They say those two things, even if one of them are in play, you will actually act out of character. You will do something dumb that isn't actually consistent with who you are. And so if you feel tempted to act out of character, that's okay. This is a safe place. I hope you feel safe. I know who's got a hold of my tomorrow, and I'm going to rest easy tonight because he is in control. He is in charge, and he's leading my life. Um, here's the question I want us to consider tonight. Is knowing the new doing? Is knowledge the new action? Is the mental ascent the new climb? Is that the goal? Are we all Gnostics now? Is the goal that you know that? Um, I have recently been, how should I say, undone by the amount of people who respond to pretty much anything with, I know. I know. Well, then why am I here? Right? I mean, if you know, and uh, know-it-alls are proliferating through the world today. Now, part of this we came by honestly because we are living in the information age, which is not just the information, it's the speed in which it travels. So as a result, have you had one of these moments? You probably haven't because you're not 43, you're, you're, you're 16, look at you. Um, I was a youth pastor for 10 years. Nope, still a youth pastor, okay. <laughs> I love you. You're so young and beautiful. Um, I still have conversations to this day where I'll ask someone like, yeah, was, it, was it 1989? What? And, and someone will say, if only we had a device that we could just dial it in and get the answer. And I'm like, all right, I got the point. I'm 43. Right? And you pick up your phone and you immediately Google whatever it is you want to know. As a result, we have found ourselves in the information age. And the information age is traveling so fast, we all now know a lot of useless, I mean, wonderful things about life. Useless facts. We all have statistics. We all have stories. If you're like me, I try to read a verse of Scripture in the morning before I do anything else. But... Um, Sometimes like BuzzFeed or, or the news app just calls my name and it's like, I don't know, what's an interesting storyline? Um, did you see the guy who plays for the Rams? Such a nice guy, he's like 40, everyone's like, he's so old. I'm like, or he's young, whichever way you look at it. And uh, did you see his daughter reading a book during the Super Bowl? I love her so much. That's my wife, my marriage. Um, Chelsea and I have been talking about, we've been going to bed at different times, which is very rare for us. We were like religious about going to bed at the same time. But today we were talking about it like, we're actually starting to enjoy this. And I don't know if this is okay. So I just submit this to married people everywhere. But like, I want to watch the new formula. It's not new, it's old. But the Formula One documentary on Netflix, I am obsessed with this Formula One, guys. I mean, obsessed. Guys, they're spending $400 million and they're wrecking their car like every 15 minutes. You know, like it's unbelievable to watch. Slow motion, most expensive train wreck of all time. And we get to watch it episode after episode. Chelsea cannot be bothered with my form of entertainment. So she's upstairs reading her Kindle. 
in her bed. And so last night I was like, all right, all right, all right. you know, what would, what would Pastor Rob do from Nashville? My friend Pastor Rob is here for who pastors a wonderful church in Nashville. And I, every time I see him, I'm like, I got to get more Christian. I literally need to be more holy and set apart. You know, what would Pastor Rob do? And so I, I go upstairs and I go, hey, babe, I could, you know, I could, I could turn on, you know, Formula One here in the room. Or, or, or would you rather me not? And she goes, I would rather you not. And I was like, well, all the best. God bless. <laughs> Went downstairs. Um, what in the world were we talking about, and why did I bring that up? What's that? Oh, yeah, the news, the news, the news, right? It's so, it's so hard not to just immediately get inundated with about a football player's little girl reading a, reading a book at the Super Bowl, right? And you kind of lose yourself in the moment, and you're like, oh, this is amazing. But I don't know if that information is going to assist me in any way, shape, or form in my human journey ever, right? But that's the age we live in, constantly being fed and inundated information. As a result, I submit to you tonight for your consideration. Is knowing the new doing? is knowing the new doing. Are you like me? Because you know about something, have you tricked yourself to believe that you're actually doing something? Or is that just me? Oh yeah, yeah, I know that. As if like I've done something. Are you like me? I don't, I don't like read books on subjects. I watch fictitious shows about subjects and then tell people what I know. Formula One, yeah, yeah, it's a big business, yeah. yeah they do 20, 20, 20 drivers all over the country, all over the world, actually. Yeah, the Monaco is really the big one. You know, you're like, bro, you've watched six episodes without your wife, and you're a Formula One guy now, right? Like, it's, it's, it's the age we live in. By the way, there was a time, and I was alive in it, where you actually didn't know anything about really anything unless you sat around and watched the nightly news with your dad, but why would you do that? You wouldn't do that, so you don't. You played in the neighborhood, and then information traveled like in the form of weeks and months, not seconds and minutes. So you just, it was just a different day. Now, some of you really have no frame of reference, but I'm telling you, I think just maybe it's affecting us. Is, 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 is knowing, is knowledge the new action? Is knowing the new doing? Let's, let's think, then let's talk, and let's think, and let's talk, and let's talk, and let's think, and let's think a little bit more and talk some more. What a great day. Wait a minute, what? Yeah, I had a bunch of coffees today, man, just with friends. Says everyone I ever talked to in this city. Yeah, I had a great day. How was it? Did seven different coffees right? Went to Phil's, went to Blue Bottle, right? Like went to Blue Star, went to all the real hot spots and got an oat milk cappuccino. Super cool, man. That's awesome, right? Just what do we do? We talk, we think between, and then we talk some more, and then we talk, and then, and then, and then what do, and, and, and most of what we talk about is what we think about and what we opinionate about and what we wonder about, what we're curious about. Now, you might argue this is not a horrible practice, it's not incredibly detrimental, but when you apply that to your spiritual life, it can actually be very, very counterproductive. That leads me to the coffee I had this morning. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I went to coffee at Blue Bottle, I don't wanna get into it. Um, and uh, 
had a great conversation. I actually asked two young men I respect a lot. They're in their late 20s. I said, you tell me where you think the church is and where it's headed and what's going to happen. I want to hear your thoughts. And it was brilliant. Listen to these incredible men, and we're having coffee. Now, meanwhile, I brought my little puppy, Louie. You know much about my puppy, Louie. He is the love of my life. I mean, he's, a, he's our pet. Um, and I love him so much. You know why we love dogs, right? We all know why we love dogs. Because they don't talk back, ever. Guys, you know you've made up a personality for your dog. I know I have. It's not his personality. He's probably the most selfish little being in the whole wide world and only thinks about himself and only ever wants to eat and bite everything in my house and pee on everything. But I'm like, you're our best little buddy. You're my little baby. And he's probably looking at me like, I don't speak English, bro. <laughs> like, but anyways, I love how we project on our animals. Um, so I've projected on him all of what I need out of humans, but I can't get and I put it on him, and he gives it to me. It's wonderful, which is really myself giving it to myself. But anyways, I take my dog um, to coffee, and I, 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 he's just been barking so much. I'm really undone as a, as, a, as, a, as a dog dad. And so this new thing I've been trying, it's like it's this new, new concept. When he barks, I say, no barking! That's what we've been doing. And it hasn't worked at all. And I couldn't figure it out because when you put no in front of barking, it means stop it, you know? But he doesn't pick it up. He's just, no barking, no barking, I said no barking. So today, true story, I'm chasing him around. I, when you say walk to Louis, he loses his mind because I think he speaks English, but I just think he understands like the intonation of my voice. You wanna go on a walk? He's like, he just freaks out and he runs over to the drawer and it's so beautiful and I open it up and I get out the leash and I'm like, here little buddy. And he starts doing one of these. He like crouches down and he's like, are you ready? And I'm like, no, 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 stay, sit. And he starts like jumping, jumping. And do you know how long five to seven minutes is running around your living room trying to get a hold of your tiny little fake dog, right? And I, and I finally, I finally just threw the leash at him. I go, fine, you little freaking dog. Fine, I throw it at him. He's looking at me like, I thought we were playing, right? Anyways, I finally get him the leash on and I'm like, hey man, you need to listen to me. Like, and I don't know any other language, so I just keep speaking to him in English, you know? I'm like, listen to me, bro. I'm the alpha. I think so. I'll check with mom. But, like, I am in charge, right? So we go to Blue Bottle, and I tie him up at the table next to us. It's a true story. And then we go and sit down, because I'm like, I just need a little distance, you know? I need some space. So we're talking, and this lady comes to that table. So I, I go, ma'am, I'm so sorry. I, I don't know why I tied him over here. My apologies. She says, no, 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 can you, would you mind leaving him? And I go, yeah, be my honor. And she says, I'm a, um, I don't know what she said, like I'm a dog trainer. Is that what she said, Braylon? Well, Braylon was at Cobb with me, yeah. And I was like, oh, it's amazing. And, and I go, oh, he's, he kind of barks a lot. And she's like, well, you need to say quiet. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. I go, well, we, we tried no barking. She goes, yeah, it's, she, she laughed. Like, you guys laughed, you know? <laughs> I hate you guys. But anyways, um, she said, yeah, he hears barking. Like, it's just more barking. You need to say quiet. I promise you in the last several hours, the Smith family's gonna change, okay? So, and she says, I want you to put your finger right next to his nose and say, quiet, quiet. And I go, wow. So she starts doing it. She goes, no, sit. And she sat him down with her hands. And I'm like, watching this woman, like, raise my dog. <laughs> and I'm having an oat milk cappuccino. And um, 
we get to the end, and I'm like, well, I better, better take off. And she was kind of interjecting in our conversation, like, new techniques that I should use. And I'd be like, oh, thank you so much. And we'd be finishing the conversation. It's like, hey, thank you for everything. It really means a lot. I'm getting the dog out and untying him. And she said something that just blew my mind, blew my mind. And I hadn't written the sermon yet that I'm doing right now, but it was like ruminating in my head. And she goes, she looks at Louie. After she told me he doesn't speak English, she looked at Louie and she goes, hey, Louie, you are welcome to visit me in my mind anytime. And I said, wait a second. I said, what? <laughs> he doesn't speak English. <laughs> and I was like, come on, little buddy. We got to go. <laughs> like, can't be just visiting random strangers in their mind. It's like laws against that or something, man. You know? But it hit me. I was like, oh, that's it. That's what we do. That's what we do. That's what we do with Jesus. That's what we do with God. Hey, God, you can visit me in my mind anytime you want. You can visit me in my mind. Now, I'm going to tell you something. God will visit you in your mind. There's no doubt about that. God will visit you in your dreams. God will give you visions. God will meet you in your mind. There is a lot of biblical precedent for God meeting you in your mind. But it is imperative on this night that we equally establish that God will also visit you not just in your mind. God will visit you in your body. God will visit you in your emotions. God will visit you on a Monday. God will visit you at lunchtime. God will visit you in the food court. God bless food courts of the malls of America. We, that's a, we need food courts. Tell you what, man, too many luxury coffee shops. Put me in a food court in Portland, Oregon, and I'm in my element, Mall 205 to be exact. That's where I, I, I beg mom, put me in the food court, mom, because think about the food court is everybody in the family gets to choose whichever thing they want. I'm going to Wendy's. I'm going to hot dog on a stick. Anybody remember hot dog on a stick in the food court malls of America? Act like you grew up in L.A. You just got here. <laughs> acting like you don't know what a food court, you only know what the ivy is. All right, so why are we talking about food courts of America? <laughs> it's like, Judah, grow up, bro. <sighs> so God wants to visit you at the food court. <laughs> that's, how, that's good communication. Um, he doesn't just visit you in your mind. When the lady said that, I was like, oh, that's weird. And I was like, actually, it's not weird. We do it all the time. The one place we let God come, you can visit me in my mind. And if we're not careful, the mental ascent becomes the premier pursuit of the human experience. I know is the new I am complete. Oh, I know that. When is the last time somebody told you something you knew and you just let it ride? Be honest. Oh, so you know the Super Bowl? Yeah, I know. I watched it, man. Come on, man. Oh, oh, all right, all right, all right. Yo, so you like my new fit? Yeah, it's Zara. I knew it was Zara. I knew it was Zara. Oh, okay, okay, all right, perfect. Yo, you hear that new song that dropped? Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know, all right. I mean, I don't know anybody these days that when somebody says something you know doesn't interject, oh, I already know. Because knowing is the new social status. You got to know. 
I mean, even my kids, my kids are like, Dad, you here? Most of the time, the answer is no. I don't know what happened, right? No, what, what, what happened? It's the way of the culture. Now, I want you to know, you may not know this because this is your first go around, this is my first go around, but I have been living a lot longer than many of you, and it wasn't always like this. We have accelerated the human experience at an alarming rate. And by the way, we are assuming, you may find this you know, defeating, but I, I, it's not me on Instagram. Like, it's me when you see me, but it's not me. I don't go on Instagram, I don't know Instagram, but you know how many awkward conversations I have with people who are like, well, you know, you know, my baby reveal, you saw, you know, we did, oh, you guys are pregnant? Yeah, we're doing two weeks. You didn't see the pink dust dropped by the helicopter in our backyard? <laughs> no, man, I didn't, I didn't, you didn't see the pink pony that rode in? My wife rode in to announce our new, can we all just admit the baby reveals? This is outrageous. I, I'm, I'm, we're thinking about getting pregnant just so I can counter-reveal. <laughs> Have everybody over and just don't do nothing. What is it? It's a girl. All right, pass me the chips. You know, like that's what I want to do. <laughs> that was good content. Um... <laughs> So, so is knowing the new doing, is that the goal? Gnosticism is a real, it's a real concept. It's a belief system that says that the ultimate goal of the human existence is knowledge. Knowledge actually replaces any action or doing or, or practicing. It's the practice is the knowing. And without even knowing it, without even being aware of it, many of us have slipped into a form of Gnosticism. We think because we... No, now, but, but here's the reality about, about this, this proliferating um, concepts of, of Gnosticism. Um, it's affecting our intake of the story of God. And, and here's what I'm experiencing right now. And I'm 43, so I'm, I'm old enough but young enough to kind of tell you what's happening in the culture. It wasn't always like this. Our church is inundated by people who complain that I preach too much about the basics. Um, can you tell, Judah, when are you going to get into the meat is what Christians say. Now, you may not know this, and I don't want you to get caught up if you don't know this, but there's this concept. Now, if you look at Scripture and where it talks about the meat of the gospel, by the way, the meat, uh, I've said this before, when did Jesus stop being the steak in the meal we eat? When did Jesus become the cauliflower? I don't know, but he's not. He is, he is the meat. So the message is the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. The, 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 the gospel is only preached when Jesus is magnified. It's very simple. A good sermon, a good, a good church sermon is just, the question is how many times you say Jesus? Kind of what it comes down to. Just tell me how many times you said Jesus. I, I can live with that. I can live with that sermon. That's a good sermon. It wasn't very, that's a good sermon, right? This really is about Jesus. But here's, here's what I'm talking about. We are even in the church at a place where we're going, ah, I heard this one. I wish he'd do a different episode. Oh, this isn't, a, this isn't a show. I'm not selling a show. These aren't episodes. This is the same story every time we get together. 
Jesus became sin so that you and I might become right in our relationship with God because all of sin and fallen short of God's glorious standard, specifically 632 laws in the Hebrew Bible, we none of us could fulfill them. We're not even aware of all the laws. We can't live up to it. We're born into sin. We're selfish, self-serving creatures who can't save ourselves or save anybody else or really be the difference at all. And so God put on skin and bone in the form of a person named Jesus, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and he claimed to be fully God and fully man, and he lived a perfect, sinless life and had a public ministry for three and a half years, and he told everyone what he would do, and he did exactly what he said he would do. Oh, and by the way, the reason he died on the cross is so that he could get up again three days later like he said he would so that everyone would know all of his teachings were true because he beat death like no one else had. Right, like, but if that bores you, I will be the most boring preacher for the next 23, what's the countdown? 22 years until we move to Palm Springs and drink wine every day. Babe, keep the count alive. Let's say it's down to 21, 21. Um, we're just gonna keep going over. Paul says, I have determined, Paul who wrote more than half of the New Testament, he says, I've made a decision to say that the only thing I really know is Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that was a brilliant man who had knowledge like you wouldn't believe. Is, is knowledge the new doing? And what I mean is, once we know it, are we over it? Are we over it? Are we over it? Once we know it, I, oh, can you give us something we never heard before? Oh, beware. Be cautioned about preachers who tell you things you've never heard before. Be very leery of that. Solomon even said there's nothing new under the sun. You came here for something new tonight? Only thing new is the suit I'm wearing. <laughs> right, this is the same message about a person. But, but, but see, but see, but see, but see, that's it, isn't it? We're talking tonight not about mere principles or concepts or rules. I am not, this is not, a, this is not a pet rally. I'm not a football coach, a basketball coach, a life coach, a consultant. I am a storyteller, and the only story I stick to is the story of God, who's revealed himself in the person of Jesus. If I knew anything better, anything gooder, anything realer, I would anchor to that, I would tether to that, and I would express that. But Jesus, the person, not the concepts, not knowing about him, but experiencing him, talking to him, and walking with him, has literally changed my entire life. Life. It has affected every dimension and layer of my existence. Without him, I can guarantee I wouldn't be here tonight. I would have no business being here, but he makes up the delta. He makes up the difference. He makes up. He is the comforter. He is the provider. He is the best friend. He is the leader. He is my counselor, he is 
the lion. He is the lamb. He is the lily of the valley. He is the rose of Sharon. He is the desire of all nations. He is the culmination and the focal point of the human existence. It is all about him. Whether you know it or not, you are right now sitting in what we call the story of God. Your life is actually the story of God. You were put here to play a role in the story of God. You are not the main character. I am not the main character. There is only one main character and the camera is always on him. And he is divine and he is perfect and he is God and he is good. But is knowing the new doing, do we already know that? Is that just, well, I already know that. It's interesting because Jesus said something very fast and he said, you will never understand what I'm doing unless you approach me like a child. I want you to think about the posture of a child. Children by nature are learners, not because they wake up and say, I'm going to be a humble learner. And some of you are so proud of your humble learning. <laughs> That's counterproductive. Children are just naturally curious. They're natural learners, listeners, wide-eyed. What in the world is going on, Dad? What is this? I know you've never been here. This is, right? Remember as a kid, the first time you saw Mickey Mouse or the first time Disneyland or the first time you saw a cartoon and you're like, oh, what is this? It's Thomas the Train, buddy. Oh, wow. Chugga, chugga, chugga. This is amazing, right? And you just, everything is new and everything is fresh. And we... Come on in to Saban. I hope he makes it a good one. So far, this is a 6.5. He's usually funnier. Um, no big deal. Uh, we'll go to a couple other churches on Sunday. Don't worry about it. This is just what we do on Wednesday. Uh, this is cool. This is cool. Who's here? Can you tell? Look around. And, oh, okay. See, for me... So at some point, life gets to a place where you're like, um, so this is a matter of life and death for me. And um, without Jesus, uh, I won't make it. So um, I'm going to go ahead and uh, put everything I got in the next 30 minutes we got because it's the last sermon I might ever preach. And it's the last moments we might ever be together. And life is precious and it's a vapor and it's so fragile and it's so finite. And without him... This all falls flat and nothing really makes sense. I got friends here tonight going through pain you wouldn't even imagine. I got friends here tonight going through pure ecstasy and success that you couldn't even imagine. And yet, there's a congruency here. There's a confluence here. We're all starting to get a little bit more honest about the fragility of our human state. And we're saying, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but in the process lose his own soul? So, um, preacher, give me something that's real. And what's real is the object of your life is not mere knowledge. It's actually, <clears throat> I'll say it like this, the goal of life is really connection. And what I mean by connection is integration. And what I mean by integration is integrity. And what I mean by integrity is Synchronization, like I'm just, I'm just coming up with these words right now and it's just fun, by the way. I don't really know exactly what I'm doing, but I like it. The point is, 
It's really about eliminating these multiple rooms in your life. Some of you have a church room. Some of you have a work room. Some of you have a secret room. (laughs) Some of you have a friend room. And in each room, you're very different. Very different. Very different. In fact, some of you will go to another room tonight, and we would barely be able to recognize who you were in this room and that room. The goal of life is integration. In other words, consistency. Holiness basically means consistent through and through. And that's the goal of life, that by connecting with God, he aligns you, and you are connected and consistent every day. Who you are, who God has made you to be. In a weird sort of way, what we're doing tonight is the practice of peeling these, how should I say, these arbitrary, fake, temporary layers that aren't who you are to let you be you. Integration, right? Connection with God and with each other. Most rooms we go in in culture, if you're like me, you are managing a persona and I'm exhausted. When I walk into a room with you or anybody else, I'm like, all right, you're the pastor. Remember that. And I think to an extent, that's a noble thing. I think a pastor should conduct himself in a particular way, right? But it gets exhausting. All right, here we go. I gotta play my role. Where Jesus says, you can just become like, like a kid. You can admit your fragility and your weakness. A friend of mine and I were talking this week, and he said, I've become so secure, I can admit when I'm insecure. That's, an, that's integration. That's integration. That's a coming together. That's a, I am so nervous right now. You're the best in the world at what you do. You're incredible. You're, wait, what? You're, I'm so nervous right now. Oh, you mean you're human? Yeah. And I want you to see that. Do you still love me? We love you. You're so great. This is supposed to be the sacred space called the called out community of God where people can come and let down and be themselves and not just run their mouth about everything they know. You know what I'm increasingly disinterested in is your Bible knowledge. I don't mean, don't clap because we'll offend people, but (laughs) some Baptists are like, what'd you say? But (laughs) I love Baptists. If you don't get that joke, it's totally awesome. But Bible knowledge is good. You're not going to like this statement. The Pharisees and Sadducees knew all there was to know about God more than anybody else, and they crucified the person that knowledge was supposed to lead them to. How do you like them apples? <laughs> Some of you care more about memorizing your Bible than finding connection and integration with Jesus. And some of that's just the way you were taught. You were taught like, you got to know the Word. You got to know the Word. Just knowledge Statistics about the Bible and the history, what good will that do if you don't connect with the real living person who authored it? There's a lot of people in this room, we know a lot of amazing personalities and public figures. When we say we know them, we don't know them, we know a 
about them. We know in our social construct, if somebody was like, yeah, 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 I, I know Denzel Washington. You'd be like, you? You know Denzel? Yeah, I mean, don't you? No, but I want to with all of my heart. Like, what do you, you don't know, you know Denzel. Well, no, nah, I mean, you know, like, I know him. Wait, you never met him? No. Oh, well, that, that's a, it's a totally different conversation. You know about him like we all know about him. You don't know him. Right? So we're not, I'm not talking about like knowing someone intimately. When I say no, I'm talking about knowledge, the knowledge about something or someone. That, if we're not careful, becomes the new doing. It becomes the new intimacy. It becomes the new interaction. But I'm trying to get you to a place in the next 20 minutes where you'll leave here craving having little sidebar conversations with God to see what happens. When's the last time you're like, God, are you in this car with me right now? Because I am so mad. <laughs> I dialed up a place that was 24 miles away from my house the other day. It's like an hour and 20. Wait, what? Right, like, God, are you, Lord, you are, you are welcome to visit me in my mind anytime. <laughs> no, son, I just wanna, I wanna like inundate your whole day, man. Like, I wanna affect your hobbies. I wanna affect your conversations. I wanna stop you mid-sentence and say, don't say that. And I want you to say, okay. I want us to be brothers, sisters. I want us to be friends. Oh, well, how do I, how do, I do that? Well, it starts with just wanting that, knowing that you're supposed to want that. I'm going to show you scripture. And it's taken a long time to get to scripture. And so I apologize to all of you who are like, is this a Bible church? Okay. <laughs> First Corinthians. Chapter 8. Everyone relax. I'm wearing a suit. 1 Corinthians. <laughs> My preaching's not getting better. I think it's getting worse because of you guys. All right. I'm kidding. It's so much fun. Let me address the issue of food offered in sacrifice to idols. So quick, quick little update. Paul is now running to the church at Corinth. This is his first letter he's ever written. And what, what's come up is there's, um, there's know-it-alls in the church who are like... Did you hear of they did you hear there are people in the church and they are going to these like restaurants and they are eating food that is not sanctified and holy and according to the law you cannot eat food that has been offered to idols. And so in the church not too dissimilar to a lot of issues we're dealing with today in the church you have people who knew absolutely that is wrong. No 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 no, no. don't you eat that meat, that little lamb you're eating, that was offered to idols. And then church people are like, oh, sorry, I, I've always eaten here. It's my favorite restaurant. Well, it's an idol restaurant. Get out of there. It's bad, and they play secular music. This music is not saved. It's unsaved music, so get out of here. And the food's not Christian either. And we only eat Christian food and we listen to Christian music and we wear Christian clothes and we talk in weird Christian language that no one else understands because that's how we're gonna change the world. <laughs> Praise God, brother. Amen, sister. 
<laughs> so that's literally what's going on, right? And he says, it seems that everyone believes his own opinion is right on this matter. No way that's written thousands of years ago. I'm gonna read that again. It seems that everyone believes his own opinion is right on this matter. Does that not sound like the church right now? Everyone believes that their opinion is right on the matter. How easily we get puffed up over our opinions. <laughs> I read this and I was like, I cannot believe this wasn't authored a week ago. Right? How easily we get puffed up over our, this word opinions, it literally is knowledge. But love builds up the structure of our new life. Love, love's an action word. Love's an action word. If anyone thinks of himself as a know-it-all, he has a lot to learn. What? I thought the goal was to be the know-it-all. I thought that our spiritual maturation was all dictated and determined by how much we know. Can you find the book of Hezekiah? It's not even in the Bible, bro. Got you. Oh, cool, bro. Thanks, man. That was awesome. You know, like, sword drill. Find psalms, or you might call them psalms. You know, like, what are we doing to each other? The weirdest stuff. I got so many Christian jokes. So many Christian jokes. <sighs> know-it-all. When, when was, when was know-it-all? You know the most refreshing comment by Christians that I'm running into right now is, yeah, I don't know, man. Wait, say that again. I don't know. Can I hug you? <laughs> Do you have a podcast? No. Can I hug you as well? Do you ever blog? I've never blogged. Can I marry you? Right? Like, I mean, how refreshing. But if a person passionately loves God, he'll possess the knowledge of God. Did you read it? If a person passionately loves God, he'll possess the knowledge of God. So which is first? We are to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When knowledge gets in front of the grace, when knowledge gets in front of the love, knowledge breeds arrogance and elitism. And so we have people that don't know our loving God, but they know so much about him, they're dangerous. And that's why if you talk to some of my friends that still have not yet decided what they're going to do with Jesus, are a little uneasy because we haven't always been the nicest people in the streets. Now, I want you to think about that. When you know about God, but you don't know God, what do you think is going to happen? If you just know about him, but you don't know him, so you don't you know what somebody said to me today about the church? They said, you know, Judah, the staff at church home has missed, I don't do staff meetings anymore. And somebody mentioned, you know, I, I think there are times where the staff feels a little disconnected from you, but just seeing you sometimes puts the staff at ease and they remember, oh, this is, we're, we're good. Cause they're just, you know, they, they hear my heart, they hear Chelsea's heart and it's like, all right, all right, we're good, we're good. But distance, oftentimes leads to misunderstanding. And so what happens when you just know about God, but you're not involved with him, is you start getting very opinionated. 
and your opinions get bigger and your love gets smaller because you're an, it's a form of Gnosticism. And I've never met a Gnostic who's like super sweet because they're so super smart that they're super elite. Did that rhyme or was that just me? Because um, you're like, hey, could you tell me? I certainly could. Hey, do you know about it? I definitely do. Do you know the historical background behind that story? <laughs> you're like, no, super cool. Please tell us. This is awesome. Like, we all shall sit at your feet, Mr. Miyagi. Like, this is amazing. Like, teach us. Thank you. Amazing. Wow. Right? Like, who, who's ever gone to dinner with a know-it-all and been like, now that was so enjoyable? <laughs> he talked the whole time. Wasn't that great? <laughs> Never! Right? Everyone's like, oh, boy. Right? It's usually what it's like going to dinner with a pastor. But the point is, the point is, the goal is, if you know God, here's what I've learned about when you know God. The more you know him, the more you know you don't know him. Huh? I'm 43, and I really am annoyed by the 23-year-old me. No disrespect if you're 23. But I'm like, you are, you silly little boy. You should have seen me at 23 walking around youth pastor extraordinaire. We got a model. I wrote a book, three, four, I don't know, I can't count. A lot of books, a lot of sermons, a lot of podcasting. I travel the world, right? Like, and I knew I had answers for everything. Now I only have responses. They're not answers. This is my response. Take it or leave it. I don't know. I don't know. We used to have tragedy in the church, and I'd sit them down and say, now, here's why it happened. Now tragedy happens, and I'm just like, just give me a hug. What do you think, Pastor? I don't. I don't. Let's cry together. What should we do now? We could cry more, <laughs> and then we could pray. What should we say? I don't know. You go first, and then I'll go after you. <laughs> really? When did we become, when, know it all? I don't know any of it at all. I just know he's, he's so good. And so, can I read that same passage to you in the Passion Translation? Ch check this out. Let's just read it one more time. Um, or in the message. Sorry, I think I already read it in the Passion. Same passage, okay? The question keeps coming up regarding meat being offered to us, to idols. Should you attend meals with such meat is served or not? We sometimes tend to think we know all we need to know to answer these kinds of questions, but sometimes our humble hearts can help us more than our proud mind. I would like to submit this scripture to the church of the world. Please digest as fast as possible. <laughs> sometimes, I love this. Way to go, Paul. This is so awesome. Sometimes our humble hearts can help us more than our proud minds. <laughs> Something to think about. I got a newsflash. Some of you want to get married. Try a humble heart over a proud mind. That could help, you know? Some of you want friends. Try a humble heart over a proud mind. That could work. Some of you want to be likable. Try less opinions. Try listening more. These are just suggestions to make you more sexy. I mean, this is real. <laughs> this is super real. This is super real. Wow, I love that person. Why? They said nothing and listened to me talk the whole time. You know, like, it's amazing. 
But sometimes our humble hearts can help us more than our proud minds. We never really know enough until we recognize that God alone knows it all. (laughs) This isn't a Bible, man. We never really know enough until we recognize that God alone knows it all. You know what I figured out about God? The goal of our relationship with him isn't to know it all. In fact, it's oftentimes the opposite. You know what he says? He's like, I just want you to trust me. It's called faith. Well, yeah, I mean, I'll trust you when you explain it all. Oh, no. No, I'm not going to explain it all. Can you explain some of it? Nah. So what should I do? Trust me. All right, perfect. And, And so begins a journey, a romance, an intrigue, a pursuit, a wooing, a dating, an exchanging that lasts a lifetime and it's wonderful. As you exchange words and emotions and feelings with the divine creator of the earth and the realms known and unknown. And you commune with him. And if you think the goal is to come out of those connections with answers, you've missed it. The goal isn't who knows it all. The goal is who knows him. Do you know him? And the more you know him, the more soft your heart gets. And you know what I noticed, man? The less opinions you have about people you know nothing about. What do you think about? I have actually no comment on that because I do not know. Do you? Because I need to learn. What is that? It's kind of how my relationship with Jesus works. (laughs) The more I talk to him, I'm like, I don't know why you included me in your big, massive, beautiful story, but I'm super down and I'd like to stay here a little bit longer. This is fun and I love my wife and I, these kids are so much fun and you are so amazing, man. And I love you so much and I, I'd, I'd, I'd like to walk this day with you. And um, if I don't feel anything or hear anything, that's okay too. But I would just like to be with you today. Okay. And so, I'm coming to a close. And this is my only and final and real close. Your laugh is insulting. I want to take you to an emotionally charged story that I have never seen the way I'm going to read it to you and show it to you tonight. And you know I'm going to cry. And I keep telling myself, if you cry every sermon you preach, it's less effective. You need to cry less. Because then when you do cry, people are like, oh, he's really feeling this one. But if you cry every sermon, you're like, he does this every time. All right. Cue the tears. Cue the piano. We get it. Um, I hate you guys. You're so critical. You're like, Judah, we never said that. You said that. Um, John, John chapter 8. I'm done. This is, this is the final story, and I've been so looking forward to sharing with you. Um, it's a really emotional moment, and it's uh, Jesus having a meal with his 12 teenagers. 
Peter's probably, thanks Elijah, Peter's probably the only one who's not a teenager. And it says, Jesus was moved deeply in his spirit. Looking at his disciples, he announced. I tell you the truth, um, one of you is going to betray me. Eyeing each other, his disciples puzzled over which of them could do such an act of treason. They're, they're looking around. The, disciples that, the disciple that Jesus dearly loved was at the right of him at the table and was leaning his head on Jesus. I don't know why, man. I read that verse today, and something inside of me was like, God, that is what I want, man. Like, I am so tired with everything else. I'm so tired. But man, I, I, think, I think a lot of people I'm gonna see tonight at that theater could really use just a few minutes with their head on your everlasting chest. Whew, man, I could use that. We're talking about therapy? This is some divine therapy. John, if you understand what's being done here, John is the author of this book, inspired by the Holy Spirit. We've talked about this before. It should be noted. It is most definitely noteworthy. If we go back to verse 23, guys, if we could just for a moment, notice it says, the disciple that Jesus dearly loved. Oh, man. I, I promise you, I'm not making this up. But there are some nights, and I know it's only once a month now, so maybe it's just going to happen every month. But there are some times that suddenly I'm on this stage. Oh, man. And um, I just feel Jesus. So it's just that. Um, I think that's why I cry so much. But um, this guy, John, says he is the disciple that Jesus dearly loved. And um, some of you, without knowing, you think that that's uh, some sort of a statement of fact, that Jesus sat all the guys down and said, I'm going to rank you now. John, you're number one. Um, but he never does that. Now, John is one of the three closest. They have these moments alone with Jesus from the rest of the guys. But what John is writing is what he deeply believes about himself. It's what he deeply believes about himself. And I, you know, we did a lot tonight, right? I mean, I've been... How many more times can I talk about my puppy, for goodness sake? But I know what my assignment was tonight, and it's, it's, it's happening right now, and here's what it is. There are some of you unaware that you are the disciple that Jesus dearly loves. And the last thing he wants you to settle for is knowledge and stats about him. He wants to woo you into a romance and a friendship unlike you ever imagined possible. John says, I'm his favorite. <laughs> I just want everyone to know when they read my book, I'm pretty sure I was his favorite. And I don't know if you feel this way, Pastor Rob, but you, 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 you know you run into some good parents when you talk to their kids and every one of their kids are like, yeah, my dad's favorite. You're like, that's a good mom and dad right there. They got eight kids, and all eight of them think they're ranked number one. That's a good dad. That's a good mom. Because every mom and dad went alone with a child to make that child feel like you're it. I remember we had our first baby, and then Chelsea got pregnant again. And she said, baby, I don't know if I can love this next baby the way as much as I love our first. And I said, I got a hunch. Our heart's just going to grow. Heart's just going to grow. And it's true. It just grows. And then you're like, now we got two babies. 
and then it grows and you have three and then you realize if you have any more you won't make it <laughs> almost didn't make it with three you know but but uh I want you to realize what happened here. John says, I am the disciple dearly loved by God. And the Holy Spirit of God, who was orchestrating the divine canon of scripture, said, make sure that's in there, because that's how I feel too. Which is to say, God condoned this writing. God approved this writing. I approve this message. God said, yeah, put that in your book, John. That is how I feel about you. You're my guy. I chose you. You're my son. I'm proud of you, Dad. I'm your favorite. Yeah, you are. I'm number one. You are, and so are your brothers and sisters. No, no, Dad, I'm your only favorite. You, you're my favorite. They're all my favorites, but you're my favorite. So it's true what you say. John, you're my favorite. Said he was at the table. How did John get next to Jesus? I think he chose the chair. I think John, I think he did. And I know this is conjecture, but I think it's good conjecture, so bear with me. I think before everybody sat down, John was like, hey, what's up? It's me and you, man. Peter, down there. Bartholomew, we don't even know you're here, man. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Christian jokes. All right. <laughs> Nobody knows how to spell your name. Um, who do you want to be at the table, man? Who do you want to be at the table? Why are we all settling to be somebody else at the table? Because as you watch this play out, there's only one guy at the table who's so close, he's on Jesus' chest. Jesus said, somebody, this is the biggest news these guys have ever heard. He said, somebody is going to act in a treasonous way. They're going to betray me. And all the guys are like, wait, what? No, God, no. What? And everybody's talking and everyone's mingling. Everyone's busy. And this is the scene. John is so close. While everybody else is talking to each other, John leans over and the Bible says he whispers, verse 24. Peter gestured to his disciples, asked Jesus. So Peter gestures to John, if you're going to lay on him, ask him. So John's like, and look what it says, verse 25. This really happened, verse 25. Then the dearly loved disciple, this guy in two verses wants you to know again, he is dearly loved. We get it, John, right? Dearly loved disciple leans into Jesus' chest and he, and he, and he, whispers, he says. I love the word master. The master is an okay word in, in the English, but, but, but it's a much better word in the original language. It means the leader of my life. He says, director, leader, leader of my life, master and commander, who is it? Do you, did you know this? Look at the next verse. So Jesus says to John, it's the one I give this piece of bread to after I've dipped it in the bowl. Did you know that? Did you know Jesus only told John? 
and he dipped the piece in the bread and the bowl and handed it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Jump to verse 30, I think it is. Verse 30, verse 30, if we can, just for time. Um, no, that's a bad one. Go to the nab of the one no. <laughs> 28, let's try 28, 28, 28, big money, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pretty, uh, pretty familiar with the story. Um, Don't fault a guy for watching ESPN. All right. Verse 28. None of those around the table realized what was happening. None of those around the table realized what was happening. Verse, next verse. Verse 29. Some thought Judas was a trusted treasurer, was being told to go buy in celebration, perhaps to go give something. Where do you want to be at the table? You want to be left with conjecture of what you think God is doing? Or do you want to be close enough to whisper? What's going on, Jesus? It's going to be all right. The other dudes are left to go. Do you know what happened? I know why this scene's in the Bible. Because John is not leaning on the chest of Jesus because of his merit. Because of his Bible college degree. He's leaning on Jesus' chest because he wants him. He wants it. He loves him. He hadn't found anything more true in the world. When they came in that room, he's like, Where did you, where's Jesus sitting? I'm sitting right here, man. This is not a game for me, man. If you knew my story, you'd understand. I don't got time to sit down there. I don't have enough understanding to sit down there. I've got to be the guy who's got his head on this man's chest because I don't know anyone like him. I don't know what everybody else knows, but I know that when I look at him and when I'm around him, my life makes sense, man. And I can bore you with the, the future trajectory of John's life and how he became, became a father of a movement and millions of people met Jesus because of John's life, but it all started here. John was a man who was not content to simply be at the table or be in the building or be at the conference or know the scripture reference. He wanted to know the man. So close he could whisper, what are you doing? And you would think that Jesus would say, I have an announcement to make, John. Thank you for asking. It is the per... He says, if you, if you really want to come close and you want to know, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. What are you waiting for, man? You think I got some access you don't have? You think I got some understanding you don't have? You think you don't have the Holy Spirit of God willing to whisper secrets and understanding about your future, about your day? You think you don't have the same man you can sit at his feet and put your head on his chest and ask him, what is going on? Why is this happening to me? Can you help me, man? Yeah. But I am your favorite still, right? You are. Okay. So I urge you from the bottom of my heart, don't you let this be church, just church. You know what I'm saying? Church, what are they doing? Church. I don't want to be left at that table going, well, do you know what's going on? What's going on? I don't know what's going on. What are we doing? 
Why did Judas leave? You know why Judas left? I don't know. I don't know why Judas left. Maybe he's going to go get us some more money. I wish he would. By the way, have we been missing money? Has he been stealing money? He was. So come. So come on. What are you waiting for? Talk to him. Tell him what you're going through. Do therapy with the creator of the universe. What is going on down here, God? And I'm reading articles that are saying we're more divided than maybe even the Civil War. Hey, God, what are you doing down here, man? Because it hurts. And maybe, just maybe, he has something to share. And it's interesting because um, isn't it wild that John doesn't stand up at the table and say, I know. Did you ever notice that? John doesn't stand up and say, you guys don't know, but I do. I do. Because that's not what happens when you get close to him. That's not the fruit of intimacy with Jesus. You don't get arrogant. You don't become a know-it-all. You get soft and you get broken and you get pliable and you start unzipping your soul to your friends and you start saying, man, I'm hurting. I need some help. I'm not who you think I am. I need some integration. I I know you guys are always asking like, where's that verse and where's that verse? Because I grew up in church and I'm the guy in the group that everybody, but I, I just want you to know that I don't know what I think I know. I, could you guys pray for me? Whatever happened to that? You know what I mean? Like, I grew up in church, man. Everybody was like, yo, pray for me, pray for me. You pray for me? We had pre-service prayer and post-service prayer. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We prayed for an hour before church. And then church would get over two and a half hours later, and we would have another prayer meeting after church. Y'all can email me later and say thank you that we don't do that, okay? You're like, you can do it. We're not coming, you know? When's the last time you just found a friend and said, man, I just need you to pray for me, man. I just need you to pray for me. Well, don't you know the scripture that God works all things together for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose? Brother, you need just to quote that scripture. Oh, yeah, I, I think God's just meeting me in my soul right now. Not just my mind. And um, just pray for me. So come on. Come on to the table. The only, the only prerequisite for being John in this story is you just got to be the one guy at the table who's willing to be like this. Do you hear what I'm saying? As opposed to. You just got to be that guy. What are you doing, man? I can't live without him. Yo, man, get it together, bro. Come on, bro. We got this. Trying, man. So tired, so lonely, so worn out. I love Jesus, man. Because Jesus said, Come on, you think John was the only one who could lean on Jesus? 
he's available to you. He loves you so much. I'm done. I love you guys a lot. And um, I don't much care about what church you claim <laughs> or what podcast you listen to. <laughs> Appreciate you being here. It's better than talking to myself in an empty theater. But this is about you and your God. And he's here. Come on. Who are you? You're the disciple whom Jesus loves. He rejoices over you. He rejoices. Did you know that? While you sleep, he neither slumbers nor sleeps. And he rejoices over you. While you do nothing, he does everything. While you rest and your brain heals and your body begins to regenerate cells, the one who never sleeps, he's working situations and circumstances together for your good. He's not far from you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He'll prepare you a table before you in the presence of your enemy. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. One day in his courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Whatever God starts, he always finishes. He's never authored anything he doesn't complete. The dreams and desires of your life that you have wondered, will they ever come to pass? I got God. I got good news. God will do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask, think, or even imagine. I'm going to talk to somebody just for a moment. There's some people in here. You've had some closed doors and you started to ask yourself, what did I do to get these doors closed? And I just want you to know that I push against any theology that teaches you that your actions or your merit got you that door closed. You listen to me. Where there is a door that is closed, God will open up a better door, a more fulfilling door. But do not be, do not be deceived. Oftentimes what you think you want is not what you really want and it will bring leanness to your soul and it will be destructive for your brain. And so God opens up better doors that will serve you better, that will help you in your future so that you can keep moving forward. I'm telling you, there is an architect of the ages and he reveals himself in the form of a father. He is a good father. He loves you. He's going to go ahead and put you to bed tonight. He's going to sing over you and rejoice over you. The Bible says, let us sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs, encouraging one another. Let us remind one another that we are the chosen of God. We're the peculiar people. We're the called out ones. We're the sons. We're the daughters. We're the anointed ones. God's given you that talent. God's given you that ability. God is in control. I got news for you. You are not in control. Don't let your mind override what you know is true in your soul. God is good and he only does good and he only does what is just and he only does what is righteous and he will see you through. You might feel like you are so isolated and so alone, but I'm telling you, when you are at your lowest, God is at his nearest. God is near to the brokenhearted. He is near to the weak. He is near. Paul said, take this weakness from me. And God said, no, for in your weakness, my power is made perfect. For when you are weak, then you are strong, and my power rests upon you. I'm telling you, if you feel weak, if you feel lost, if you feel broken, if you feel discombobulated, you feel disconnected. I'm telling you, tonight could be a night where you reconnect with the universe, with the creator of the universe, I should say, with the one and only Jesus. He's here. He's here. He's here. I don't know who I'm preaching to. Woo, but I feel it. Man, I'm talking to somebody. 
talking to somebody. I'm done. I, that was a, I, we were supposed to close. Whoo, man. I don't want anybody leaving here tonight feeling discouraged. I want you to feel encouraged. This is life and death, isn't it? This is life and death, man. This is life and death. When did this stop being life and death? When did this stop being life and death? It's life and death. God is so proud of you. Will you, will you pray with me? Oh, Jesus, 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 Jesus. I never met anybody like you. Nobody like you. Whew. Wonderful Jesus. Wonderful Jesus, you are in this place. You are in this place. You are in this place. If you're here tonight and you say, Judah, I would like to receive the free gift of forgiveness that only Jesus offers. As I said minutes ago in this same message, he who knew no sin became sin so that you can become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You can't earn it, deserve it, warrant it. You can just accept it and receive it. If you want the completely and utterly free gift of forgiveness and acceptance and righteousness and a guaranteed eternity with God, put your faith in the performance of Jesus. Let go of trusting your own performance, your own moralism, your own deeds, your own knowledge, and put all of your eggs in Jesus' basket. Put all of your trust in Jesus. If you want to trust Jesus for your righteousness, if you want to trust Jesus for the rest of your life, you want to trust Jesus into eternity, if you want Jesus to walk with you and talk with you and work with you and lead you and guide you, I'm talking about Jesus. If you want Jesus in your life, and you're passionate about that on the count of three, I'm gonna ask you to lift up your hand and receive him as your leader. Receive him as your Messiah. Receive him as your savior. One, two, three, if that's you, shoot your hand up all over the auditorium. God, you see hands. Lord, from the balcony to the main floor, you see hands all over this auditorium. And we thank you that forgiveness flows freely here at church home. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Forgiven completely, all of our air, all of our wrong, all of our sin, past, present, and future are completely covered and completely forgiven because of the person of Jesus. And we thank you for that tonight. We thank you for that tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.